Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. If you're visiting with us for the first time, I hope that we made you feel welcome. If we didn't get around to you, then um, uh, I'm saying it now. Welcome. Uh, we, we are glad you're here this morning, and we're so thankful to see all your faces to uh, be here to worship with us. If you have your Bibles or a phone, um, you can download one on your phone. Um, you should have service here to be able to do that. And I'm preaching from the ESV Bible, so if you download one, there's a free one uh, in your app store, Play Store, whichever one you go to, um, and you can download that and follow along with us. But we're going to be in Psalm 52 this morning, and you can just keep your seat. We're not going to stand like we normally do for the reading of God's Word. Um, I'm on a walk through it with you a little bit differently this morning, so we're not going to read through it all at once. <clears throat> but um, before we uh, get started, I would like to go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> I'd like to ask if um, Mac Thomas, would you open us in prayer for just a minute? Amen. Amen. Today we're uh, moving right along in our series through the Psalms, and you'll remember that um, we're going through a particular type of psalm, and it's a psalm that's called a masculine psalm. And basically, this is a psalm that uh, it was meant to be sung, but in the same process, it was meant to impart wisdom to the one who sang it, to the ones who. Um, who um, were leading in it. They were wanting to instruct in some way. And so when we go through these particular psalms, one of the things that I like to do is just ask myself the question, what is the main theme of the psalm, first and foremost? And then, what is it that it is trying to instruct us in? What kind of wisdom is it trying to impart to us? And so those are some of the things that we're going to be looking for as we go through this. I also want you to notice at the top of Psalm 52 that... This psalm gives us the context of in which it was written. Uh, not every psalm does this, but I think it's pretty special whenever it does because it really helps us put the pieces together and get the most out of it. So let's just look at what it says. At the top of Psalm 52, the title is, The Steadfast Love of God Endures. And then it says, To the choir master, a masculine of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Now this story can be found in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22. In both of those chapters you can find it. But I'm not going to go back there and read it. I'm going to summarize it for you and just help you understand what we're dealing with here when David writes this psalm. David is running for his life from King Saul. You might remember that uh, Saul had sinned against God and God had decided to take the kingdom away from Saul and he was giving it to David. But that transition had not taken place yet. And so Saul in his jealousy 
was trying to kill David. Most everybody remember that or you've heard a little bit about that. And so David is running for his life. And whenever uh, Jonathan tells him, we know for sure that my dad, Saul, is trying to kill you. David takes off running for his life, but he has no provisions. He has nothing. Uh, So he stops by this place called Nob, and it's a priestly city. It is the place, there's no temple at this time, so they're worshiping in a tabernacle, a tent, if you will. And so David stops in Nob, and he sees this high priest that he's went to so many times, and he asked the high priest to pray for him to, to He asked the priest some questions. Will you ask the Lord about this and this? And the priest counsels David in certain things. But then David, he, he tells a lie to the priest. Remember, he's running for his life. He's, just, he, he's trying to figure out what to do. And so he tells the priest, I'm actually here because the king, King Saul, has sent me on a secret mission, me and these men. He said, we have no provisions, we have nothing with us, it's a very secret mission, and we need something to eat, and we need some weapons. And so the priest looks at him and he says, okay. He said, well, we don't have anything here except for the holy bread, the show bread. It was bread that was meant to be specifically for the priest and for them to eat and them alone. But because of the situation... The priest says, here is some old showbread, some old holy bread. We were fixing to throw it out anyway. As long as you are in a good spiritual condition, then we will give it to you to eat. So they give David and the men the showbread. Then he says, I don't have any weapons in the house of God except one, the sword of Goliath whom you killed. And David looked at him and he said, there's no sword like it, so let me have it. And so David leaves the the tabernacle. The high priest has given him bread to eat and he has inquired of the Lord for him and now he's given him the sword of David to to go on this mission. Well, there's a time that is also there and when you read 1 Samuel 21 and 22, it says that he was there because he was detained by the Lord. That tells us that he was there in some form of worship. He was there in some way to complete a vow that he had made before God or there are many reasons that he could have been but only being detained by the Lord would mean that he is in some type of worship to God. So he's in the house of God. He's worshiping God. He sees everything that takes place. And the Bible tells us that Doeg, the Edomite, was the chief herdsman of Saul. In other words, he was the boss of all of the shepherds and all of the people that kept the cattle and the flocks and everything else of all the kingdom's um, uh, food source, if you will. Now here's what happens. Saul hears from somebody that David has been in the tabernacle. So he comes to this place, to this city of Nob, And he is standing there with his soldiers. And he says to all of these people, he says, How is it that you are protecting David and helping David when you know that he's my enemy? And so he's accusing all of them. Then he looks at them and he says, Is David going to make you captains of thousands and hundreds? And is David going to give you lands and vineyards? In other words, is David going to be able to make you rich like I can? And the answer to that is no, he can't, not in this sense. 
And so all of a sudden, Doeg, the Edomite, who's been in the tabernacle worshiping God, he steps out and he says, Hey, I saw David. I saw David. I saw everything. I heard everything. Now he don't tell Saul that David lied to the high priest and that, that David was actually telling the priest that he was on a secret mission by the king. He don't tell any of that. Doeg instead just steps up and he says, I saw David. And I saw Ahimelech, and I saw the priests give him the common bread, or give him the showbread. I saw them give him the sword of Goliath. I saw them inquire of the Lord for him. And Saul is infuriated. And he comes to these priests and he says, How can you do this? How can you turn against your king and, tra- and betray me like this? And Ahimelech, the high priest, looks back at Saul and he says, But David's your son-in-law. David has been your your right-hand man for so long. I I don't understand. Is this the first time that I've inquired of the Lord for him? No, it's not the first time. I've done this many times. But Saul was so furious and he didn't believe that this priest was oblivious to what was going on that he commands his soldiers to kill the high priests. The soldiers won't do it. They won't raise their hand. They know better. They fear God. But he turns to Doeg whenever his soldiers won't do it, and he says, you and your men kill these priests. That day, Doeg, on a lie, killed 85 of the priests of God. And then he turned and he went into the city of Nob where all the priest's family lives, and the Bible tells us that he killed all the women, all the children, and all the flocks that were in that land. Every cow, every sheep, he, he slaughtered the whole place. Word has now come back to David that after you left Nob, this is what happened. And Doeg came in and slaughtered all these people on the command of King Saul over a lie. That's your context. This is David's response to what has happened. Now walk through it with me real quickly, beginning in verse 1. Why do you boast of evil? Oh, mighty man. Now this is, a, this is a, uh, a sarcastic term here. You're so big and bad, you slaughter women and children. You're so big and bad, you slaughter priests of the Lord. Why do you boast of this kind of evil, oh, mighty man? In other words, why are you not even sorry for the sin that you have in your life? And so the first thing we have here, if I'm outlining this song, that's another thing I like to do when I study the Psalms. I like to try to outline it as I go through it and see what's happening here, what's happening here, here and here, and so on. And the first thing I see here is David begins this psalm with a question. And the question is just that David is baffled. This man is in the house of the Lord worshiping the Lord. The same thing David was there doing. It would be like two of you sitting in the same house listening to the same message this morning. We've all sit here and sung the same songs to Him. We've prayed together to Him. And yet this man goes out and he does this kind of evil. And he's not even sorry for it. And David is baffled and he asks a question. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? And then he says, why do you do this when the steadfast love of God endures all day long? I don't understand. Why in the world would you choose to follow this path and boast in it when this is true? That God's love and His unfailing love endures all day long. 
And then he moves next to the evil deed explained. And he explains what it was. Verse 2. Your tongue plots destruction. That's exactly what happened, right? We know the story. It's like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good. There's the problem. You love evil more than good, and you love lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. That's the deed explained. Next, we move into the coming vengeance. Notice the first word of verse 5. What is it? But. So even though this is the evil you've done, this is the evil you boast in when the steadfast love of God endures all day long, but there's coming vengeance on those who love evil more than good. The coming vengeance is beginning in verse 5. But God will break you down how long? That's the vengeance that's coming on people who love evil more than they love good. God will break you down forever. Not only that, He will snatch and tear you from your tent. You know what a tent was in that day and time? Your home, your your shelter, your refuge, your dwelling place. He's going to snatch you and tear you from that place where you find your comfort and that place where you find your safety. He will uproot you. It's important you pay attention to these words. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Now if you get uprooted from the land of the living, where are you? And then, verse 6. Here's what will happen as a result of God's vengeance. The righteous shall what? They will see it. And it will cause them to fear. When you look at what the vengeance of God is going to be on the ungodly, on the ones that love evil more than good, the righteous ought to look at it and go, I don't want no part of that. And they will see and fear. And they shall laugh at Him. Now this could also be talking about, David could be talking about the priests that were slaughtered here, being the righteous, that will see the vengeance of God come on Doeg. That justice is going to take place, right? And he could be talking about the fact that they're going to see it and they're going to laugh at it and this is what they're going to say. And here's the counsel of the righteous. Whenever I, whenever I outline it, I put right here in verse 7, this is what the righteous, after they see the vengeance of God on this evil, this is what they will say to everyone else. See the man who would not make God his refuge. In other words, the counsel is... Look at this man. Look at him carefully. Look at his evil deeds. Look at the life that he chose. Look at what he loved in his life and the evidence of it. And you see this and you look at the man who would not make God his refuge. But instead, notice what it says, he did make his refuge in. Because a refuge is what? A refuge is a place of safety, right? A place of comfort. A place that we know that, that I'm, I'm okay here. And instead of making God His refuge, He instead makes His refuge the abundance of His riches. It says, but He trusted in the abundance of His riches and He sought refuge in His own destruction. 
And so there we see the counsel of the righteous. And so the heart of Doeg was that he loved money more than he loved God, right? I love to worship God. I love to be in the house of God. But I love money more. And how do we know that? Because when it came time for him to make a decision in his life over right or wrong, he said, I would rather defy God and do evil in order to gain wealth as opposed to refuse wealth and just be right with God. So he refused to make God his refuge. Y'all tracking with me this morning? All right. Verse 8. The next is, we want to see the man who made God his refuge. So we want to see the man that didn't make God his refuge, and now we want to see the man that did, because David made God his refuge. And so notice what he says in verse 8. What's the first word? But. So in other words, we're looking at the difference here, right? This is what the man looks like and what's going to happen to him that won't make God his refuge, but instead trusts in the abundance of his wealth. This is what it looks like, and this is what the man looks like that makes God his refuge. Look at verse 8. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. Now just very quickly, an olive tree was an evergreen, okay? An olive tree was um, a tree that could... It was one of the longest living trees out there. Do you know that they believe that there are still olive trees in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed that are still alive today? 2,000 years later, they believe that it's probably the same olive trees that looked over Jesus as He prayed that are still in that garden today. Gethsemane actually means oil press. That's why it was called the Garden of Gethsemane. It was the place to where the olive trees were and they came to this place to make their olive oil, to press the olives and bring the oil out of it. And so it was the crushing place. And here Jesus is being crushed by the weight of sin, praying while these olive trees that are some of the longest living trees are looking over him and they're still alive today. They believe some of the oldest olive trees are likely anywhere from 2,000 to 4,000 years old. Their roots go so deep and that, that they say that the branches can die and if there's a forest fire that comes through, it can kill the branches, it can even kill the trunk. But the roots are so deep that even though the, the top part of the tree is completely gone, it can come back to life and continue to grow. And so David uses this same analogy right here and he says, I... And I remember what, what he said about the man that didn't make God his refuge. He was snatched, he was torn, he was broken down forever. He was uprooted from the land of the living. But on the other hand, the man who makes God his refuge, his roots, they go deep. They go deep. He is an evergreen, not, not one that will be broken down forever. So I am like an, a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust... Remember, the other guy trusted in the abundance of his wealth, right? Here we have the comparison. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. That's another thing I want you to notice is how many times he talks about eternity here. Doeg's going to be broken down how long? But I trust in the steadfast love how long? Forever and ever. And then verse 9. I will thank you for how long? Forever. Because you have done it. 
I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. So here's the main point of the psalm, and we're going to look at what we learn from it, but here's the main point of the psalm. David wants you, when you read this psalm, to look carefully and meditate. That's the reason why they have that word salah at the end of some of these places. When he gets to these points, he wants you to stop and think. Stop and meditate on the man that loved evil more than good and what that looked like and what the result was. Stop and meditate on the man that trusted in the love of God that endures forever and ever and what his end result is. And you think about those things. And so here's some of the things that we see. The man who would not make God his refuge, he loved evil more than good. He loved riches more than God. And that was evident in his life. The evidence was there. And you'll know what you love more than God in your life. Let me say this. We will know what we love more than God in our lives by the evidence of our lives. You will know where you make your refuge, where you find your comfort, where you find your safety. And so this is important, an important psalm for you and I because I'm going to tell you something. The majority of us in here this morning are no different than Doeg. That's, right. That's just the truth. And you're going to see it as we continue on. But we have to understand that when we look at this man that loved evil more than good, when we look at the man that loved riches more than God, and it was evident in his life, we also need to see that vengeance is coming. Now notice what he said again in verse um, 5. But God will break you down forever. In other words, has it happened yet at this point? No. But David knows something. The vengeance of God is coming. You may, you, Doeg may get to live in this and, and, and enjoy this for a, for a few more years. But the vengeance of God is coming. God will break you down. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the living. The righteous shall see. It is going to happen. You can count on it. So we need to see that vengeance is coming. We need to see that this man loved temporary things more than God. He would rather defy God to have money and power than to defy money and power and have God. He sought refuge in his own destruction. What about the man who took refuge in God? Well, he loves good more than evil. Now, let me ask you a question. Was David a perfect man? Did David ever commit murder? You know what Psalm 51 is about? The psalm right before Psalm 52? And it's no coincidence that they're side by side. Psalm 51 is about the sin of David when he murdered one of his own men in order to have his wife. And so notice the difference in Psalm 51. Look at it with me. Psalm 51 verse 1. Notice, now what was the first verse of 52? What was Doag doing? Why do you boast of your evil, almighty man? So here we have two sinners. David's a sinner too. But here's the difference. David loves good more than evil. And when he does evil... He hates the evil that he does. Look at what he says in 51 verse 1. Have mercy. And, and actually, look at the first, first part of it. 
um, at the top where it says to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So again, we have context here. And so now that, now that David has been made aware of his sin, this is his heart about it. God have mercy on me. According to what? Remember what David trusted in? Now, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, God wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In other words, I was born a sinner. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let, my bone, let the bones that you have broken... You know what it feels like whenever this man is in sin? He ain't boasting about it. It feels like his bones are broken. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from what? Blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Here's the point. The man who would not make God his refuge, he really has no remorse in his evil. It don't really bother him that he lives an evil life. He goes to church every day just like David does. He sits in these same pews with you every Sunday. Probably even comes to Wednesday night service. Probably even makes it to Sunday school. Probably even in a small group. Maybe even two or three of them. This guy is a church-going guy. But when sin is in his life, it's not really a big deal. But on the other hand, the man who makes God his refuge, it feels like his bones are broken. He hates the sin that is in his life. He loves good more than he loves evil. He focuses on eternal things. Now think about that. See, here's the difference. The man that would not make God his refuge, his focus is on riches, is on temporary. His focus is on this world. i got to make more money. i got to get this and get this and get this and get this. Can I get a witness? Without me looking. That's his focus. But the man who makes God his refuge, his focus is the vengeance of God is coming. And it's eternal. The love of God endures forever and ever. And I'm going to thank Him forever. And I'm going to praise Him forever. And I'm waiting on Him right now. And I'm trusting in Him right now. And, and, and I'm, I'm following Him right now. 
But his focus is not on the temporary. His focus is on this is what's coming. And how, why is that so hard for us? You know, the um, prayer of Moses in Psalm 89, I think. Don't quote me on that. It's somewhere around there. Moses said, Lord, teach me to number my days. Teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, I don't know how to number my days. I live every day as if there's always going to be tomorrow. Why is it so hard for us to figure out that tomorrow never really comes? For someone, tomorrow does not come. And one day for you and me, tomorrow is not going to come. Yet we can't figure that out. And so we focus on the wrong things. But the man who takes his refuge in God, the reason he's doing it is because he's focusing on eternity. And he knows that he has to prepare for eternity. The man who takes his refuge in God is like the olive tree. He's planted, not uprooted. Um, He's not snatched and torn from his tent, but instead he's given a new tent, an eternal tent. Instead of being broken down forever, he is thanking God and praising God forever. And he will wait on God until that day comes. So here's the question and here's our message this morning. What kind of instruction do we get from this? What is it that what wisdom is to be imparted to us from looking at these two men? I got a bunch of them. I can only give you a few for sake of time this morning, but I'm going to go as long, as many as I can until the time runs out. But listen to the first one. The first thing we learn is that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 10. Look at what it says. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires, and plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's what happened to Doeg, right? And here's why. Because the love of money is a root. Now listen, this verse has been misinterpreted so many times. How many of you have ever heard this verse that says, the love of money is the root of all evil? That's not true. But the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now I want you to think about it. Um, The love of money some people have lied for. Anybody ever lied in here on your income taxes? I ain't looking. We lie on our evil, or we lie for our love of money. Or what about your timesheets? For those of you that fill out your own timesheet like I do, you ever been tempted to say, well, instead of um, uh, four hours of overtime, I actually think I got five hours of overtime. Or we could go on and on and on. But the point being is that people lie, people cheat, for, for their love of money. People murder for their love of money. Anybody in here ever watch Discovery ID? Every one of y'all women ought to raise your hand right now and come to altar when it's time. 
You know why the majority of those things are committed? Yes, a lot of it is jealousy, but a lot of it is money. People murder, people steal, people slander. Any family member in here ever had to... um, Ever, ever seen what happens to families when a patriarch or a matriarch dies and all of a sudden we got to talk about who's getting what? Man, we'll slander each other for the love of money. We will, won't we? Come on now. Am I preaching to any sinners this morning or y'all, y'all already got it all together? We will slander for the love of money. We will commit fornication for the love of money. You know what the biggest business in the world is right now? Pornography. Sex sales. You know why? Because there's money. Why do they do it? For the love of money. Fornication is committed because of the love of money. Adultery is committed because of the love of money. Idolatry is committed because of the love of money. How many of us will forsake God in all of our ways to pursue the world? Because of our love for, and and it may be love of things, but guess what buys things? So the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And it is through this craving, that notice it's a craving. It's a fleshly desire. And it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with Many pangs. The love of money ultimately leads in your destruction. And so, it's important that you understand this morning, money in and of itself is not bad. You need money. You need money to live. You need money to to eat. You need money to to buy gas, to get back and forth to work. You, You need money. So money is not bad. But the love, the craving of having money is bad. And one pure example of that, you remember Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts? When everybody is selling all their things, and Ananias and Sapphira, they sold some land. And they came before God, and everybody else was giving it all. And they came up and they said, here is everything we have. We sold our land, and here is we want to give it to God. But what was the problem? They held back a certain part of it, right? Now, was it wrong for them necessarily to hold back? Did did they even have to sell the land? No. And so what was the sin? The sin was they so loved and craved money that they were willing to lie to God in order to have money. The the, The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And we have to see that it causes us to do things that defy God in so many different ways and we don't even realize it. I mean, whoever thinks about a little lie being something that we defy against God? But that's exactly what Doeg did first, right? Was just a little lie. Now here's the question. Do I love money too much? I mean, i got to have it. So do I love it too much? And I'm going to tell you, if you came here this morning expecting to, to say, nope, I'm, I mean, I'm just like God. I, my heart's only on one thing. Bravo. Bravo, you've made it. Most people are not there yet. 
Most of us fall under this category. So let me ask you a question to, to see whether or not we love money too much. Are you willing to sin to get it? Are you willing to tell a lie to get it? Are you willing to cheat? Are you willing to steal? I remember um, I, the, the Holy Spirit wears me out on stuff like this. But, um, you know, I've got paper towels and toilet paper and everything at work. And a lot of times if I'm out of a roll of paper towels at home, I'll think to myself, I mean, what's a roll of paper towels, right? But you know why I'm willing to take a roll of paper towels and take it? You know why I'm willing to do that instead of just getting up in the morning and going to Walmart and getting paper towels? Because it saves money. And so there again, you have money and the love of it, the craving of it, that is a root of all kinds of evils. And so here's what a good self-examination for myself would be. Yes, I love money a little too much because I'm willing to just take a roll of paper towels that does not belong to me instead of taking my money and rightly going and buying those towels with the money that God has provided me. And we would look at that, most of us, and go, come on now, it's not really that big a deal, but is it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Because I'm willing to sin in order to get it. And you have to ask yourself the question too. Are you willing to slander someone in order to get something that is monetary in value? Are you willing to steal from someone in order to get something that is monetary in value? And if you're willing to do that, then the answer is you love money a little bit too much. And you need to repent from that, and you need to confess that, and you need to monitor that. And as Paul told us in Timothy, we need to learn to be content. That if we have food and clothing, we've got everything we need. And I should be able to be content with that. And you know how you will learn to be content with that? If your focus gets off the temporary and your focus gets on the eternal. The vengeance of God is coming on things like this. And He's called me out of that. He's called me into eternal life with Him. Another question that you can ask yourself to see if you love money a little too much. Can you give it away freely for the love of God? Can you give it away freely? You know, um, I was riding through Columbia the other day. And man, the homeless population in Columbia has really just exploded. You know, used to, you might see somebody here and there. But I mean, it is when we drove through the other day, I saw two over here in front of Hobby Lobby. I saw three over here in front of Walmart and Belk and all of that. And so, I mean, there's just like, there was so many. And when I drove by the first one, I, I kept driving by. Because in my heart, he was holding up a sign that said, um, disabled veteran, I believe is what it said. And, and I drove by and I thought to myself, yeah, right. Anybody else? Y'all going to leave me alone up here this morning? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And I drove on by, and I pulled in. I dropped my wife off at Hobby Lobby, and um, when I dropped her off, I had to make a U-turn, and I had to circle back around, and I had to give him some money. But now, the truth of the matter is, in my heart, even though I'm doing it because I'm studying this lesson, Y'all tracking with me? So I do it because I feel like that it's 
what I'm supposed to do. But you want to know what my heart is feeling while I'm doing it. And so here's what I know. I don't have the kind of heart that can just give my money away freely for the love of God. And that is an indicator that I love money too much. Now, I would love to stand before you this morning and say, I don't love money, but my heart tells me otherwise when I look at certain situations. You remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, Good, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus goes down the list of commandments with him. You remember that? And the rich young ruler gets happy and he says, I've done all these things since my youth. I'm good. And Jesus said, um, there's one thing that you're forgetting about here. Rich young ruler said, well, what is it? Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. And you remember what the rich young ruler did? He walked away sad. You know why? Because he loved money. And here's what Jesus was saying to him. Jesus wasn't saying, if you would actually follow these commandments, then you'll be saved. That's not what he was saying. He's saying, you need to recognize that you're not perfect, that you're a sinner. And let me show you an example of it. You can't give your worldly things away freely because you love them too much. And then Jesus told His disciples something that's very tough for us to hear today. He said, it's easier for a camel to go through what? The eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. You know why? Because he loves his money. And the love of riches will lead him to defy God. Instead of looking at eternal things, he keeps his focus on the temporary things. And guys, I don't know about you, but I need to hear that. You know why? Because even though there are people in the world that have far more money than I do, I'm a rich man. And the truth of the matter is, come, come to Guatemala with us sometime. The truth of the matter is, probably every one of you in here are rich compared to the majority of the world. And we need to listen to that verse that says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter in the kingdom of heaven. We need to evaluate our heart and we need to recognize these things now so that we can repent of them and we can learn to be content with the things that we have and we can learn to focus on the eternal and we can learn to make sure that, that our heart is just trusting in the love of God for eternity instead of on the abundance of things that we can accumulate in this world. Do you see that? Y'all see how we get that from this psalm? That was the problem with Doeg that led him to make the decisions that he made. We look at it and we go, how in the world can a man do that? You can do it too. So many of us are too quick to look at somebody with a terrible sin in their life and we go, how in the world could somebody do something like that? You have the same heart. It's in you. The question is, what will you put your trust in? Because if your trust is not in the love of God, looking at the vengeance of God that's coming, looking at the eternal life that He promises, being planted like a green olive tree, if you're not there, 
That's why David ended up doing what he did because he didn't keep his focus there. He got turned away and he started focusing on wives and accumulating them. And that's exactly what led him to do what he did. So that's the first thing. We, we learn that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. And we need to learn to focus on eternity and be content with what we have. And that leads me to the second thing that we learn from it. The one focused on eternity will find refuge in being safe with God. The one that is actually focused on eternity will find his refuge. You, you'll find your comfort and you'll find your satisfaction in just being right with him. That's the reason why when we sing songs like Savannah just sung a minute ago, we can say, I am satisfied with you and you alone. If I don't have anything else but you, I'm good. I'm good. Because he's keeping his eyes focused on eternity. <clears throat> Number three. Go through these a little quicker. When the godly suffer due to another person's sin, they trust God and they will wait for His vengeance. Let me say that again in case you're writing. When the godly suffer due to another person's sin... Now I want you to think about something here. The priests were in the will of God, were they not? And as far as we know, did nothing wrong but serve God. And yet, they were slaughtered. Their families were slaughtered. Their cattle, their possessions were slaughtered. The godly suffered because of another person's sin. But here's what we learn from David. David is suffering here because he feels responsible, right? Actually, when you go back and read 1 Samuel chapter 22, David says whenever the, only one of the, the children of Ahimelech survived. And he runs and he tells David, this is what Doeg did. And David said, it's my fault. It's my fault. I caused this. And so here David is suffering because of another person's sin. But notice what he does. He trusts God and he waits for his vengeance. Look at verse 5 again. Here's what God says. Uh, here's what David says. But God will break you down. David trusts this. He trusts that vengeance is coming. Justice is going to be served. See, here's the thing that you and I need to understand. It's not up to David to take this into his own hand and go kill Doeg. Even though, how many of you know that's what David feels like doing? He feels like going and killing Doeg. And instead, he waits and he trusts God and he says, here's what I'm trusting. God is going to break you down forever. God is going to snatch and tear you up from your tent. And, and, and the reason he could say this is because this man's not sorry for his sin. This man boasts in his evil. And he sees the evidence that Doeg is not a born-again Christian. And he will uproot you from the land of the living. And then go over to verse 9 for me and look what David says in verse 9. I will thank you forever. Why? Because you have done it. It's a done deal in David's mind. It ain't happened yet, but guess what? It's coming. He's going to do this to the ungodly and He's going to do this for the godly. I will thank you forever because you have done it. And then notice what He says next. What's the next three words? I will what? 
wait. This is what the godly does when we suffer because of another sin. I will wait for your name because it is good in the presence of the godly. I will wait for you. And we have to remember that, don't we? Because how many of you want to take vengeance out for yourself? But David says, I will wait for your name. And then, number four, the next thing we learn from this, we don't quit the fellowship of believers even though one of them proves to be evil. I'm going to say that two or three more times. Let me say it again. We don't quit the fellowship of believers even though one of them proves to be evil. Doeg and David went to church together, didn't they? They were in the house of God together, worshiping God together. And all of a sudden, we see that this guy is not who he said he was. This guy is not the Christian we thought he was. Anybody ever seen that before? But David, don't quit. You know how I know that? Look what he says in verse 9 again. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good. Where is he going to wait at? In the presence of the godly. In other words, I am going to continue to surround myself with like-minded people that we're all waiting on the vengeance of God, the love of God that will endure forever and ever. And we're waiting on it together. How many of you ever been wronged in your life? How many of you ever been wronged by somebody close to you? Yet, here we see that we continue to wait because we trust that God is going to have vengeance in one of two ways. Either God will have vengeance on sin on the cross just like He has it for yours, or God will have vengeance in eternity as He breaks them down forever in a devil's hell. But one of two ways. I'm waiting on the vengeance of God because all of my wrongs are going to be righted. That's what he means when he says he's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to right every wrong that has been done to you and He is going to right every wrong that you have done to others. Either by punishing it on the cross of Calvary in the body and blood of Jesus Christ or punishing it for an eternity in a devil's hell as He breaks them down forever. <clears throat> give you two more real quick. Real quick. The next thing, <clears throat> let me just give you one more. The only difference between Doeg and David is faith in God and His Word. The only difference between Doeg and David is faith in God and His Word. David will soon do... Now, I know 51 comes before 52, but they're not in chronological order. David commits what he prays for in 51 after Doeg has done this. And so what we see here is that 
The only difference between them, the one that trusts in God and the one that trusts in riches, the only difference is their faith in God. In other words, they both sit in the church of God, they both, both heard the gospel of God, the word of God, but the difference was David put his faith and his trust in this and he followed it and he loved it. Doeg put his faith and trust in the riches and the things of this world and he loved it and he followed it. The only difference, they both had the same heart, the only difference was that one of them loved God and believed God and what God said. He, David believed in the vengeance of God, didn't he? David believed in the eternal life of God, didn't he? David believed that he would be planted like an olive tree, didn't he? He believed those things. Doeg, on the other hand, heard the same word of God. But did Doeg believe that he was going to be broken down forever? No. no. You know how we know? Because the evidence showed. Let me tell you something. If you really believe in the vengeance of God, if you really believe that God is going to punish sin in eternal hell, eternal fire, if you really believe that, you're going to put your faith and your confidence in Him. If you don't believe that, you will continue to live exactly the way you've been living and you'll really have no remorse for it and no worry about it whatsoever because you don't really believe. And you've heard me say this a million times. How do we know that Noah believed a flood was coming? How would we have known that he didn't believe a flood was coming? You will know by the life that you live what you believe. And so in closing, I'll close it with this. We have two things that we need to do. We need to look and see the man that would not put his refuge in God and what that looked like. And we need to look and see the man that did put his refuge in God and what that looked like. That's the point of this psalm. And we need to evaluate where we stand on these two comparisons. We need to stop focusing on the temporary and set your gaze on the eternal things. You need to consider the outcome of the ones that make God their refuge and the outcome of the ones that refuse to make God their refuge. And finally, since the love of money is such a hindrance, I would advise us to don't be afraid to just give it away. Let me say that again because I believe this is the biggest lesson for, for me and you this morning. Since the love of money is such a hindrance and leads to so many sins, I believe the best thing we can do is just learn to give it away. Just give it away. And I know there may be some people sitting in here this morning saying, well, I'm good because I ain't got no money. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Most people that don't got money love it the most. Love it the most. They ain't got it. They spend their life trying to get it. And then some people have a lot of money and yet have no love for it whatsoever. So just because you have it or you don't have it don't mean that the love of it does not exist in you. Y'all understand that? Does that make sense? And so we should be the kind of people that are just not afraid to give it away freely. Because again, that's what Jesus told the rich young ruler he ought to do. Why did he tell him to do that? Because that will prove to you whether or not 
you have a love for money or a love for God or not? Can you just give it away? And how many of you struggle with that? Don't raise your hand. It's good. Don't defy God to get it. Find your safety and comfort in your obedience to Him. Thank you all so much for your time and attention this morning. Um, I'm going to give a quick time of response, but I want you to understand that um, I'm not up here trying to point out the sin in your life. My job is simply to preach the Word of God to you, give you the interpretation of it, and allow you to examine yourself and see where you land in this. And so my question to you would be this. Are you more like the man that finds your refuge and your safety in God, focused on the eternal things? Or are you more like the man that finds your safety and your refuge in money and you're willing to do whatever it takes to get it? Whichever one you land in, I pray that you would either give God thanks and praise as you wait for Him, or I pray that you would confess and repent and ask God to give you the kind of heart that loves Him and focuses on eternal things instead of being so focused on this short temporary time that we have in this life right here and now.